I'm Dominic Wells, the CEO of Onfolio, and thanks for listening to this mini podcast series. The purpose is pretty simple. For those of you who are not familiar with Onfolio or who just want to become more familiar with us, I'm going to walk you over the course of the next few episodes through everything about our strategy, what, what it is we're doing and why, what our investing and acquisition philosophy is, how we came to create and develop these strategies and philosophies. And then I'm going to walk through a little bit more about some of the smaller details, what exactly it is we do when we take over businesses, what, what kind of businesses we look for, what the truth about diversification is, and more importantly, exactly how it is that we're going to make money for our shareholders. So with that being said, today's episode is really a very introductory episode. It's about the Onfolio strategy. I'm going to give you some background into how really how we got to where we are today and why we're doing what we're doing, what it is we're aiming to achieve, the pros and cons of various strategies, not just our strategy. Um, and really just, you know, why is it we're going public and why is it we're offering preferred shares? So to really get started with this, I want to talk about the background of Onfolio. Me personally, I've been buying online businesses since 2012 and I didn't start on folio until 2019 in between that I was running a different business a service-based business online and I really developed a lot of my skills there when I started on folio it was because I had seen a lot of opportunity to make money buying online businesses growing them and sometimes flipping them, sometimes just holding them. And there was also a lot of demand from investors who wanted to work with people like me. Essentially, hey, we'll put up the money, Onfolio does the work, and we'll share the profits. And so for most of 2020, most of 2019, we were growing, we were attracting a lot of interest from investors, and we were really developing the philosophies that we have today. So I think it's important that I... I do start from the beginning because a lot of people who are interested in the space of buying businesses, investing in online businesses, they kind of come in with this initial perception of what the space is and how profit's made. And that's the perception that I had too when I first entered the space. And so really, I've been down that path already. Myself and my team, we we do things the way we do now because we've seen how they work other ways and we see what works and what doesn't work. So sometimes people may come to us and think, well, why do you do things this way and not the way that everybody else does? And the answer is because we've done that, we've tried that, we, we've we seen the pitfalls that other people haven't seen yet. So we are the experts, we've, we've been down that path. And today in this episode, I'm going to try to share that path with you and what it is we learned. So if I back up a little bit and I say, what exactly is the opportunity in the space? Um, essentially, there are dozens, hundreds, thousands of profitable internet businesses in existence, and a lot of them are for sale. And so the opportunity that you can have there is you can come in, you can buy these businesses, and not only can you grow them to increase your profit, but the price that these businesses are sold at is such that even if you don't grow them, you just hold them 
you're going to achieve good ROI. A lot of these businesses are sold at three times EBITDA. And what that means is even if you don't grow them, you can still get around 30% ROI um, just from holding them and cash flowing them. So a lot of people are aware of that. They come to the space and they think, wow, that's that's fantastic. I want a piece of that. Um, but the thing is, is, is that it's not that simple. You can't just come in and throw some money at an online business and, and you know, enjoy it. You, you have to have the technical expertise. You have to know how to run a business. You have to know how to run that specific business or, or internet businesses in general. And this is where a lot of people fall down because they, they misunderstand the difference between the fact that online businesses are not that cash intensive and a lot of what they do is passive in that you might do the work once and get paid for it over and over again or traffic comes to your business, customers come to your business and make purchases without you being there. They mistake that to mean the entire business is passive. And so a lot of people fall down here. And so the solution is, okay, you have to hire people to run your business or you have to work with companies who offer services like Onfolio used to offer essentially kind of like operators or uh, asset managers portfolio managers, property managers, these kinds of things. But of course, the problem when you do that is that increases your expenses, which is okay because there's a good budget. But really, in order to make it worthwhile, you have a few options. If you buy a business which is just making, let's say, $3,000 a month profit, that might cost you 100 k So it's a significant outlay. But again, that's a good ROI. But for $3,000 a month profit, you can't really hire someone full-time to work on your business. And a lot of these businesses that are sold are sold by a kind of solo operator. So the person built the business, they ran it for themselves. None of their time or the expenses required to replace them are factored into the purchase price. So when you take over that business, you're either going to have to buy it yourself, uh, run it yourself or you have to hire someone to run it. Now, can you hire a good person to run your business for $3,000 a month? Maybe, but then all your profit's gone. So really then your option is to work with a company who maybe they just charge $500 a month or $1,000 a month and they'll work on running your business along with running dozens of others, um, which now now it's profitable. You can, you know, you, you sacrifice a little bit of your profit, but this company is operating your business for you. And hey, they may even grow it for you, which will therefore um, make back the, the you know, the, the cost of, of hiring them. But the problem is that company is running 10 or 12 other businesses. So you're sacrificing focus. The other problem is a lot of these cheaper businesses, these kind of $100,000 businesses, they don't have all that much defensibility. So an update in Google's search algorithm, Facebook might decide to change something, Amazon may change something. Suddenly that business isn't that profitable, even if you have a good operator. And so the next issue people run into is they say, okay, I'm going to buy multiple businesses. So now what happens is that 100K either gets spread around. So maybe you buy three 30K businesses, which gives off this kind of air of diversification. Um, and I'm going to do a whole other episode later about why it's not true diversification. But the thing is now you've got three businesses. So now if you, you, you either need to operate them yourselves and you're 
got even less focus or you need to hire a company three times to run your businesses. So the other issue people will come up with then is they'll say, okay, so I'll just deploy more capital. So maybe now you're deploying 500K so that you get that kind of uh, feeling of diversification, but the profitability is still there of hiring people to run multiple businesses for you. And it can work, but it's not ideal. So this was kind of the situation that we were coming up against and we were running around 40 businesses. We had a very good track record. Out of 40 businesses, maybe um, 38 of them would be successful or very successful. And two of them would, through no fault of our own, just go south. Uh, That's just the nature of business. And as a percentage, that's actually pretty good. But the problem is it kind of isn't good if you're those one or two investors whose sites went to zero. You know, it's, it's great if you've got a portfolio of 40 and only two go south. But if there's 40 individuals and two of them lose their business, well, that's not great. So we started thinking, okay, what can we offer where we don't have these problems? So we we can have everybody sharing the same pie. So if one business dies, it doesn't matter because maybe all 40 people own a 40th of all 40 businesses rather than 100% of, of one. Um And then people can also pull their money together to buy bigger businesses because bigger businesses have better profit margins. Typically, a lot more of their expenses are baked into the P&Ls of these businesses because as they get bigger, the solo operator can't do everything themselves. And so a lot of the team comes with the business. And also bigger businesses are just typically better because they've got more defensibility. It's a lot harder for someone to copy them. They've been around a lot longer they've demonstrated that they are top quality businesses. So not only that, but you don't need to buy as many of them because um, one $1 million business is probably more diversified than say 10 100K businesses because it's got more um, it's got more about it, which it's got more channels of income. It's got more channels of uh, marketing. So typically you can concentrate on your efforts a lot better when you go bigger. So everything points to rather than going for quantity, it's about quality and it's about size. So the natural place we started looking at was, well, we should raise a fund, which is kind of what everybody does in the the M&A space. And a fund has a lot of advantages. Um, People can share the same pie. Um, The team can spread their efforts among multiple efforts the management company can make can can have the management fees which can pay for a lot of their work and investors it's very passive and you're turning an active investment into a passive investment and it's diversified and and all of these good things but for us a fund didn't quite get it done and it was because really we don't have anything against funds but it doesn't line up with our philosophy because essentially the way we see internet businesses going is not these kind of mediocre or generic flippable assets. Maybe 10 years ago or even five years ago, you could just buy a business, do do a few things, tweak a few dials. You've doubled its profit, flip it, job done. But now businesses that are kind of, they either have something bad about them. So there's room to do these flips or you're just dealing with these smaller businesses that have left cash on the table. It's actually a lot harder to just um, make these small tweaks. And what 
often happens is you buy a small business and then, or you buy a bad business and all that happens is you've bought a bad business. And we think the fund structure, particularly internet funds, which typically run around five years in their lifetime, they're kind of based around buy a business, grow it, and then sell it all in five years. And a lot of them struggle for deal flow because they're constantly having to buy businesses and sell them and buy more and sell them. And when you struggle for deal flow, your standards drop and you end up buying more terrible businesses. And then investors in the fund aren't really protected from the downside if more than one or two businesses go down. And then they're going to get under average returns. Their their funds are locked up for five years. There's not much transparency because it's a private fund that works with accredited investors. And it can work, but it can also not work. And investors don't really, you know, once they're committed, they don't really have any ability to say, oh, this isn't working, I want my capital back. So what we wanted was more of a holding company um, structure where it was more of a permanent capital structure because that means we can deploy capital slower. It means when we buy a good business, we don't have to sell it after a few years. And it means that we are not coming in with a flipping mindset where we're trying to look for a distressed business or a cheap business or basically a bad business and thinking, what can we do to grow it? Instead, we're thinking, why is this business great? Why should we buy it? Can we afford it? Does the person want to sell? Would we feel happy holding this for years? Those of you familiar with Warren Buffett will know the quote. It's better to buy a great business for a fair price than a fair business for a great price. And there's another Warren Buffett quote about never buy a business unless you'd be happy holding it forever. Um, That's not the exact quote. But the concept is the same and it, it sums up exactly what we want to do. We want to buy businesses, we want to hold them for as long as we can, and we want to make incremental changes, and we do want to grow them, but if we don't grow them, it's okay, because we're getting a lot of cash flow. And when we were looking at this, we realized this aligns with our philosophy, it aligns with um, the type of websites we like to buy, which is what I'm going to cover in the next episode, and it is just something that we feel we're excited about pursuing and it's something we're excited about taking investor money to pursue because we know we can get a good return and we can protect that capital. And then we started looking at, well, what are the different ways that holding companies operate? Some of them are public, some of them are private, some of them, every time they raise more money, they spin up a subsidiary. Some of them, uh, the public ones just issue more shares there's preferred shares and and we really started digging deeper on these and we realized that there was an opportunity to operate as a public company without having to spend years raising uh, growing the business privately and then doing uh, an IPO to much fanfare we realized if we become a public company first through a direct listing on the OTC markets all of the negative reasons about associated with IPOs which is typically the costs and the uh, the fundraising uh, roadshow and all of that we didn't have to do that which would mean it was actually a viable strategy because we are still small but all of the benefits of being public such as investors can exit whenever they want because they can sell their shares and investors are more likely to give us money because we're public and we have sec audits and we report to the sec and all of that all of those public 
company transparency, disclosures, and so on. And we realized we can hire some of the most talented people and give them stock options and other incentives. And all of these things are fairly underrated, almost to the point where other people maybe don't realize the importance of them. But it really is the, the, the difference for us. And we realized we can list and people can buy our shares and then they're diversified. If they don't like what we're doing, they can sell the shares. But if we grow, then the shares are going to appreciate as the market realizes what we're doing. So it's a great win for investors and it allows us to do what we want to do in the space and to seize all of that opportunity. And as we were doing this, a lot of people said, well, I want to invest in the space for cash flow. I don't want to just buy your shares now and wait for them to appreciate. So we said, okay, well, how about preferred shares, which in addition to the common shares, which will appreciate over time as demand grows, preferred shares essentially don't really appreciate. They just stay at the $25 per share that they're sold at. And we can issue a fixed dividend, which allows people to get that cash flow. And because of the nature of online businesses and the fact that we're allowed to, uh, we're not allowed, but the fact that we're able to buy these businesses for prices that basically give us 25% and up returns, that means we can offer a 12% dividend to investors, still have a nice margin between what we're paying as a dividend and what we're earning ourselves, which allows investors to capture a lot of the gains in the space without necessarily having to worry about the downsides and businesses going to zero and the increased cost of diversification. And then we can list the preferred shares on the over-the-counter markets as well, which means investors have the ability to exit their position if they want to. Um, and when we, we, we looked at all of that, we thought, well, why wouldn't we do it this way? Why would we do it a different way? Why would we try and stay private? Why would we lock investor capital up? Why would we buy businesses and try and sell them again in a few years? Because our big philosophy and understanding of the space is that the modern media company is evolving and online business is evolving and people in the future won't be getting their news from the Times or the Wall Street Journal or the traditional media. They'll be getting their news from niche publications that like things like Morning Brew, things like um, The Hustle or if it's stuff that is very related to what you're interested in if you're interested in sports you'll go to sports publications if you're interested in cooking you'll go to food publications if you're interested in investing you'll go to investing publications rather than just generic news that nobody really trusts anymore and the quality is arguably in decline and you can't do that with a fund structure you can't go out there and try to build and buy and grow the best properties on the internet and so we just thought, okay, this is what we want to do. It allows us to give great options for investors. And I can't think of any reason not to go down this path, which is why we're going down this path. And I think it's important though for you as a potential investor or whoever else is listening to understand what it is we're trying to do and where it is we've come from. And without knowing all the details to just understand that we've come to this 
point through an evolution, through operating businesses for years, through seeing what doesn't work, through seeing what people think works, but again, doesn't work, and through seeing what does work and thinking really about the future and what structures are going to set us up best. And so that's why I appreciate that you have listened to me up until this point where I've gone through that journey that we went on. And over the next few episodes, I'll go into more specifics. In the diversification episode, I'll talk about more about the diversification issue. And in other episodes, I'll talk about what is it we do when we acquire businesses? How do we grow them? And some of the other pros and cons of different structures. But ultimately, we believe that this structure and these preferred shares will allow us to build a substantial business, which will allow investors and enthusiasts of the space to capture above average gains for below average for the space risk and to be able to focus on buying the best quality assets we can rather than trying to pull levers and find distressed businesses and hope for fixer-upper jobs and quick flips, which is a model that we do not believe has a long-term future.